Welcome to this third interview I recorded with Simon North in June 2020. In this interview, we talk about how leaders make time to coach their employees and also how they know who to turn to when they need support. We'll also talk a bit about how to give team members space through the art of coaching. And I know you'll find Simon's views on the culture in business fascinating later on in the interview. So please sit back and enjoy this interview. And once again, if you have comments or feedback, please send them through to me at sparks at igniumconsult.com. So welcome again, Simon North, to talk about uh, developing high-performing teams in uncertain times. In previous podcasts, we've talked about how to recognize difference in employees and people and how organizations can be looking at the capability needs of their business and stopping some of the senior people micromanaging, but actually elevating them up to understand where they need to be going in the future. Uh, so one of the things you and I have talked about in the past offline has been very much around uh, how do managers and leaders make time to advise, mentor, consult, and coach employees? Because that's, I think, one of the things that you've got a passion around is how do you, how do you step out of your, your daily doing role into a capability improvement role? I'd love to talk to you a bit about that today because I think some of the things that I'm seeing people get frustrated with is not knowing who to turn to in the workplace when they need help. I wonder what your thoughts are around that and why that's important for people in today's uncertain times. Well, I don't know what, uh, Phil, good morning. Well, one of the things that you made me think of immediately is the nuclear family. Um, And most of our experience in nuclear families is that the mother is home. It's like home base, you know, when you're when you're running around doing softball or rounders or um, or playing Ludo or whatever. It's 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 mum, you know, who, who, who plays that role. And, you know, and it's very it's very Maslovian, isn't it? Because that's where you get the ultimate in terms of safety and security and warmth and love and food and, you know, etc. Um, so, um the reason I mention that is not to go all soft and gooey, but to actually say that's a very, very um, needy thing that people have when they're born and as they grow. And indeed, when when the proverbial hits the fan and suddenly things are so disruptive, that's what you want to do is to talk to uh, to mother in our house. You know, we have a son 12,000 miles away who's uh, trying to buy a house at auction. And who is he talking to but mum about it? Because it's a stressful moment in his life, even though he's in his 30s. So um, who plays that role organizationally? I think this is a really interesting question because um, different people play the role differently depending on the organization and its history and its size and its whatever, because it could be HR. You know, I, I know people who, who used to have ad hoc interruptions from employees to come and chat about stuff five percent of their week it's now 85 percent of their week right uh, and that's happened in the last five to ten years it could be the trade unions because the management isn't listening it could be it could be some sort of um, uh, figure within a peer group who, who who actually is almost like a shop steward except they don't have a recognized union but you know it, so it could be anybody but the real role is is for the manager because the manager's responsibility is to support the pro- the productive effort of those that they are leading. That is their primary role, and 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 I saw it most clearly when I first became um, 
when I first became a big leader of hundreds and, and thousands was to actually think, you know, what, what am I doing here and where should I, you know, what, what should I be spending my time on? And of course, I had a responsibility because I was on a board and I had fellow directors and they needed to know at this sort of quite high level what was going on. And I would, of course, tell them any at any time of the day if there were things that were going wrong. Otherwise, I would report to them weekly, monthly, whatever around the table. But the vast proportion of my job, over 80% of my job was to support, not to direct. Now, you could say, well, does that, does that mean that you weren't strategic? I was strategic. Every conversation was strategic because, you know, to an earlier conversation you and I had about purpose, I was reminding people of purpose all the time. But my job was to enable those people who worked at the different tiers that they worked to actually have obstacles removed. You know, why were we going through this sort of bureaucratic process? What was going on here between this function or this external supplier or whatever to see what we could do to actually move things around so that it made people's lives easier? If they made life easier, what would happen? We would get better productive effort. They would actually respect the fact that I was able to do some of that for me and they'd ask again if they needed, etc. There are so many different facets of managing and leading that, that, that came into it. But if you don't do that sort of thing, if you don't get into that type of um, managerial behavior, you... Um, you, you, you're you're allowing some somebody else or to, to sort of fill in and and rumor and conjecture and disquiet and jealousy and you know one can go on and on using you know keywords like that to say this is not a culture you're going to be very proud of and when you when you if you inherit one like that or if you are leading one like that look in the mirror and see where the where the problem is that, that's really interesting you use that word culture i just want to come back to what you mentioned just now about this difference between supporting and directing so i think this is a really key thing um, and, and a lot of people, they move into a director role or into leader role, and they think they've then got to direct. And I, I think what I'm hearing there is there's a balance between supporting your team and directing. And you know, if I look at friends and colleagues of mine who are running multinational businesses now, uh, they, you're right, as you said earlier, their role is to help making sure that the business and the people in it can generate the most productive effort. What I'm hearing you saying is actually there's a balance between supporting and directing to achieve that productive effort. And if you don't get that right, you're not going to get the best out of people. So the question I've got is, I wonder, in supporting people, where do you sit on the line between advising, mentoring and coaching those individuals? Because there's been lots of talk about this over the years. So where do you think as a director you sit on advice, support, sorry, advice, mentoring and consulting and coaching? As a spectrum, that's a really, a really great question, and it, and um, uh, it's worth really getting into the nub of it so that people can understand what the differences are. Um, you and I both know that on a spectrum of mentoring to coaching, mentoring is where you give advice because you've probably been there before. And the person that you give advice to is likely to be younger, more junior, and uh, hasn't been there before. At the other end of the spectrum, if you are in the hands of a well, um, a well-practiced and well-credentialed coach, you know, ICF trained like you and I have been, um, you know that your job as the coach is to create the safe space 
for the coachee, which could be your your subordinate, to do their own thinking. You do you do in other words, you do not give them the answer, right? Now, where do I sit on that? I sit one hundred percent on the coaching side of that equation knowing that sometimes I will get drawn into mentoring, possibly because of time pressure or whatever it may be. But for the most part, the growth of the person that I'm with is going to be that much better. So one of the things that I have done, and I suggest in the advisory and coaching work that I that I do as an independent now, but when I was a director, the most sacrosanct time, other than being with my peer group for <clears throat> their weekly or monthly board sessions, was to have an hour with each of the people that reported to me. They picked the time in my diary that suited them the best. And what they knew was that they had 60 minutes, whether they needed it all or not. They, you know, they, they began to grow into it. So they, they uh, tended to use it increasingly you know in the early days it might have been just 10 to 20 minutes but then then they were bringing bigger issues because they realized what this was about they could bring a, a, you know a, a quite thorny issue and say um this is what i want to this is what i want to talk about today and in those sessions with them only once per quarter for one hour per quarter would it be a chance to reflect on what we said we would set out to do this year it was like a review of okay so how how are things how are things going for you um uh, and and one of them would be the you know the appraisal but the appraisals were actually happening uh, as you and I would know every week as a result of the, of the coach because I could see what was unfurling I could see what was coming and do you know what it it was amazing they, they, those same people who reported to me, we used to have a weekly management meeting for an hour and a half or so. And, you know, at each at each meeting, we only talked about um, team stuff, not their stuff, because they had their own their stuff with me one on one. Right. We also had um, we also had a stand up meeting. First thing is an operation, um, uh, you know, consumer goods operation. So we stood in the same room and um, I would. I could get through the 20, 25 minutes without opening my mouth. I would just look at somebody and they would start giving a, a headline report, which lasted seconds. And then we would go, I'd just look at the next person. And if there was a problem, somebody would say, oh, I can sort that out. I'll talk to you straight after. And I would just go, you know, nod, wink, you know. And by the time we got it orchestrated, it was like choir practice. Yeah, everyone knew what they were doing at the right time. Yeah, so so it was a, a combination of this sort of structured and unstructured. But to your question, <clears throat> um, much more uh, coaching than the mentoring, and then weekly that that group plus the next level, so there'd be about seventy of them would come together, and I'd give them a quick headline on where we were relative to our purpose, and I'd pick on a couple of really good stories to tell them. Um, and uh, which which you know lifted them and and that was more that was probably the only time I was transmitting, otherwise it was much more around seeking from them what was on their plate so that we could 
work out what best to do. Mm, I love that. I, I love that thing about them picking the time in your diary. They, they knew that they could come to you and it was only once a quarter they looked at the, the, the goals they're trying to achieve. It was more about on a regular basis, just making sure and checking with things that were going on for them. Yeah, they would come in with a <clears throat> with a file with my name on and the, inside there would be some chips that needed signing for maybe some materials or maybe their expenses or whatever. We'd get that done um, and then it was over to you. You know, what, so what, 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 what should we, uh, what should we talk about? And then they would raise something, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's interesting. I've heard about that three times this week. So what's going on? I didn't say anything. I just said, okay. So, what's, what's the issue? And instead of me having to make up what the issue was and driving them as the mentor to work out what the decision that we, I needed to make for them was, I let them talk around the issue, and I, what I learned in the first seconds and minutes was awesome about about the nature of the problem, about the way they were thinking about it, about what might be occurring to them as a solution that they could take. You know, it was uh, powerful, very powerful. Yeah. And so back back to your earlier um, uh, point about the different forms of advice, the, it, it won't surprise you that the that that type of approach was a, a maturing of them as a as an individual. Um, and it and it actually you, it was palpable how it was working out in the business. And um, one of the things that I um, that, that I love about culture change is that over time it's not something that you can do in five minutes, as you and I know. But over time, the the single most marked change that you can see in culture is the look on people's faces because they look less stressed, they look less tired. They look younger and they look more energetic and they look very, very comfortable with themselves and with those around them. And that's that's when cultures, uh, you know, when the behave, behaviors have shifted so that they're not so strained. They're not, you know, they know that they're in a, in a fair and safe place. If, if anybody now decides to do something rogue, then they're going to get it because, you know, that's the way it's been pleased. But you don't need any of that. Because it's already been done. And, and interesting, isn't it? Because they, yeah, I, I, you and I both work as coaches now, working with individuals. And, and I think there's a there's a big movement over the last ten to fifteen years for people to understand the benefit a coach, an external coach, can bring to an environment. Um, and whether you're a CEO or a board member or a team member in different areas, coaching is a very powerful tool. And you just talked there about how the leader can be the coach. Um, What's your experience of bringing in external coaches to do that? Because, and the reason I say that is, I wonder sometimes the leader obviously learns things, but sometimes people want somebody outside of the organisation to to talk to. Um, and coaching, as you and I know, is about collaborating collaborating with individuals to co-create a solution for themselves. So, I wonder what's your what's your view on external coaches and how that builds a different type of culture in an organisation. I think it's equally powerful. Um, and we, we've had a, um, the, the journey of, of the coaching profession over the last uh, 15 to 20 years has been mainly to um, offer, for organisations to offer coaching to the most senior cadre. And that's, that's because it's an expensive um, inter- intervention. It's very powerful. Um, and, you know, like you and, you know, I've done, done a lot of it with, with, with people. I think what's what's interesting is that classically the sort of the the contract around who it is that you're working for and working you know, what what is the purpose of it 
Um, when you are doing it in the way I described earlier and you're all working in the same organization, it's clear that, you know, what the umbrella is and what the purpose is. And, you know, um, that, that that's there is no agenda other than that. That's enough, actually. When you're using um, coaches uh, externally, the coachee that you're working with is the one that brings their agenda. And as the coach you go with what it is they bring. That is what you're trained to do as a, as a good coach. Um, of course, you can hopefully have the context with uh, the organization that this is what you're trying to achieve. But ultimately, it's what the coachee wants to get out. And what I notice is that a lot of the things that come up are things which it's fine to bring to your coaching, but they're the sorts of things they should really be talking about to their boss. So it's actually developing the cult coaching culture within the organisation and developing an open culture where people feel they are able to bring issues of that nature to their boss, to their person who's directing and supporting. But often, as you say, the, the, rule, the, the view is that they don't do that because they're scared or fearful of what might be the outcome from it if they do that. So I think this is interesting when we talk about businesses being open to, to, to emotions, open to um, talking about feelings and other things that go on in a human person. But actually we're saying we want to do this on one side, but actually sometimes we've got this fear of what they might be seen as if they do that. So there's a, there's a need for an external coach in that respect and there's a need for the internal coach, which is the, 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 the supervisor, the director, the leader in another context, but you need almost have both possibly. Yes. And uh, I was looking at um, uh, a very small podcast by Daniel Pink. Are you familiar with his work? And and he was talking about intellectual hum humility um, in his latest um, one. Um, and um, I think that's very pertinent to what you were just saying, actually, um, because the, the, the thrust of his podcast and, and the book that he had read on it was all about beautiful questions and the, and and being completely fine with not knowing. And in the context of this podcast right now, in the middle of, of 2020, there are plenty of us who don't know, right? And and of course, uh, and, and I think some of our colleagues actually in, our, in the business we're both in, we're, we're talking about this in, the, in, in terms of humility and in, in leadership. And, you know, we do want our leaders to be confident and to give us the impression they know where they're going. But we also need them to be humble enough to know they don't have all the answers. And indeed, that it's sometimes quite good to be able to ask those questions openly. And I think that back to your question about, you know, using external coaches, if there was more opportunity for individuals to have those sorts of conversations with their boss to say, look, you you've promoted me or you've inherited me in this job and I'm doing the best I can do. But sometimes I just need to be able to talk to you about stuff I don't know. And, you know, and uh, and whether that becomes a more coachy or mentory discussion is, you know, uh, is very much in, in the context and situation. But, um, yeah, so external coaches have an important role to play. I think they can be very important in for example transition i think when when people are when people are moving job maybe they're new to the organization they're new they're, they're, they're new to the level and they they want some a place to have a sort of a a, a quiet safe check-in with somebody that can just help them to take stock reflect 
where what's going well, what isn't, where are those relationships that I that, that I now need to be building, you know, whatever it may be. I think it's really, really powerful in some of those uh, some of those very specific situations as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're coming to the end of our time together now, and I think it's um, it's been a fascinating conversation again. Uh, I, I'm just going to ask one more question. It's the, the question I often ask, which is if you were to give one piece of advice to a, a new leader, a new director who's taking a role at this uncertain time, what would be that one piece of advice you think they would benefit from most now and in the future? Well, I can only answer that from the perspective of what I've learned in recent years. And I would say, learn as much as you can about the art of coaching. To actually go and be trained as a coach can be can take quite a lot of time and money, and it may not be what you want to do. But it doesn't mean that you can't learn. And of all the things that you have as a suite of skills in coaching, from listening and, and questioning and all sorts of other things, Mostly you'll think I understand that I could practice that. But the one that I think is most powerful is contracting, is that ability to ask somebody at the beginning of a session, how long have you got? What would be a great conversation, whether it's for five minutes or an hour and a half, you know, for you putting yourself in there, you know, asking them and creating a real conversation of equality and openness i think that's what i would go for contracting as a subset of coaching i love that that's a really really valuable piece and as a coach i know how valuable that can be and actually it's often in the contracting that you can solve the problems in the first place exactly exactly (laughs) thank you it's been fascinating conversation i look forward to our next conversation on another topic in the future okay phil thanks So, that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So, if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating. Or send us an email to sparks at eviumconsult.com.